Good morning. Back row is packed. <laughs> the back row is packed. <laughs> Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, please. The topic this morning is money management. That's something we're all interested in. Money management. Wealth management, I guess, would be the proper way to describe it today. You're trying to, there's more to wealth than just money. Your health is a form of wealth. Your friends are a form of wealth. Your time is a form of wealth. But today, tonight, this morning, we're going to talk about really money management. And the Lord takes this whole chapter 16 of Luke to talk about money management. And there's three parts to it that we'll cover this morning. And I'll read the first parable, and I'll discuss that. Then there's a verse that sets forth a tremendous principle. We'll read that later. And then he talks about a true story of someone who put his money first, got to heaven and got quite a surprise. So we'll talk about these three parts of Luke chapter 16, but it's on money management. How do you take what you have today and invest it so you'll have a comfortable future? That's the question. That's investing. That's proper investing. Now, young people have the benefit because if they make a mistake, you have your whole earning potential ahead of you. I look back and I've retired. It's all behind me. So if I make a mistake, I'm in deep trouble. But you have that advantage, okay? And you have your time ahead of you. Uh, I can't make mistakes. So I find this chapter very important. So let's read the first parable. He also, by the way, just to put this in context, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. From Luke 10 to Luke 20, he's taken his last trip. He's heading for Jerusalem. So there's a lot of teaching in this part of the scripture between Luke 10 and Luke 20. He's he's laying it out for his disciples. This this is what it's like to be a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, of me, he would say to his disciples. So he also said to his disciples... There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that his man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. That's about 900 gallons of oil. So he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly and write 50. Then he said to another, and how much do you owe? 
So he said, a hundred measures of wheat. That was about a hundred bushels of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. That's where we'll start this morning with this this parable the Lord tells, and, and it's probably the most shocking parable in the whole New Testament because this guy's a crook, and the Lord is commending him. But he's not commending him for what he did. He's commending him for being shrewd. He, he, he saw his situation plainly and uh, with, um, you might say, uh, with sound judgment, he decided what he was going to do with his master's money. He was going to continue to be a crook, but pave the way so that he would have a comfortable future. So the Lord doesn't commend what he did, because what he did was, you would say, unrighteous. He's a crook, but he's really shrewd. He carefully used what he, well, the resources he had in hand now so that he would have a comfortable future. And his master commends him for his shrewdness. Let's go back to verse 1 just for a moment. The accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. Now, if we apply this to spiritual things, you know, the God has given us so much in the way of wealth and health, uh, friendships, family in many cases. Are we wasting his goods? That was the accusation. And this fellow had to give an account And you and I have to give an account to the Lord for how we deal with his goods. Everything we have has come from him. If we have a nice job, that's come from the Lord. If we're in a family that treats us pretty fairly, that comes from the Lord. If we have money, that comes from the Lord. Are we wasting it? This steward was accused of wasting his master's goods, okay, and his money. And so now he has to give an account in verse 2. He has to give an account, and so do we. Those who are believers will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ. Lord, you gave me this. And you can say, well, I took that talent you gave me and I buried it. Well, that was foolish. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't invest it. I guess what the Lord wants us to do, invest our time or our wealth. And in this, he wants, he's going to get to the point where he wants us to do it cleverly and shrewdly, okay? Think about where we're investing our money and our time. What are we, how are we dealing with what the Lord has given us? Because we have to give an account. So here's the steward in verse 3. He's talking to himself, what shall I do? Uh, I cannot dig. In other words, I will not dig. I, <laughs> I will not uh, I'm lazy. I don't want to dig. Okay, that's what he's saying to himself. And he says, I, 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 I cannot beg. Oh, well, I don't, I'm too proud to beg. I could if I had to, but I'm too proud. So he hits upon this really smart idea. So I am a crook. I want to continue to be a crook. I'm going to make it possible for me to have a comfortable future. And he goes to the creditors and he, he, he writes down their bill okay, for, the, for the master. 
so that he's commended by the master, not because of what he did, but because of his shrewdness. He's clever. He's taking what he has authority over, and you and I have authority over the money in our pockets or the money we earn from our jobs generally, most of us, and, well, but what are we doing with it, okay? And the Lord's telling, telling him, the master's telling him, I'm, I'm commending you for being shrewd. Um, Then he says in verse 8, For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. Um, and that, now we're starting to get to the heart of this, of this story. Yesterday, or Friday, I had an interesting experience. I'd like to share this with you. Um, a friend invited me to go to a company in Hawthorne called SpaceX. It's a, it's a private company, and uh, they make rockets. They have a standard engine, and they, they, they put maybe three to nine of these things, or three to seven of these things in one, on one rocket to launch a, uh, a capsule up to the space station. And they've already had one experiment with this, and they, this is, they have a $1.6 billion contract with NASA to do this as a private company. SpaceX is in Hawthorne. And so our host, we're standing at the front door, and there are these big murals, big glass doors. And this fellow drives up behind us, Zoom, parks into the nearest parking place to the front door. And our host says, so oh, that's Elon. I said, oh, okay. And Elon, this tall fellow, uh, gets up and gets out of his very sporty car. It's a Tesla. Uh, it's this very high-performance electric car walks over and my host says, hi, Elon, and Elon says, hi, and he goes in. And um, so anyway, I, I found out a little bit more about Elon Musk. Elon Musk was a co-founder of Pen PayPal and a co-founder of Tesla. He founded SpaceX. Um, he earned $78 million a year, that's his salary. He's in the Forbes, you know, in the Forbes list. And uh, he's investing his money. He made a lot of money. PenPal was uh, sold to eBay. So, you know, they got a ton of money there. And uh, he probably started out with some money, but he's very smart. He went to Stanford to, in a PhD program and quit after two days. <laughs> he's, he's an entrepreneur. He's going to make money. But he invested it. That's the important thing. He invested what he had to, so he'd have a better future. And he, could, he had the vision to see what the future was in terms of making money. So he invested it into electric cars, you know, the Tesla. And the Tesla, that's a pretty high-performance car, but it has parts in it that are very unique to Tesla that he's leasing then to other companies making electric cars. So he's going to make money that way. The guy's smart with money. And so I was kind of impressed when I read more about him, and the company itself was, was very, he just poured, you know, 3,000 employees, tons of money into this company. Everything's the latest. Latest, uh, all the industrial machinery is, is, is the latest. So we had an interesting tour, and the, the host was a, a young Christian fellow who uh, is a leader of a youth group at his church. He and his wife manage this youth group. And my colleague is also involved in a, in, a, in a church activity. So we had a very interesting time of it, taking this tour. 
But he took Elon's taking what he has today and investing it for the future. And that's what this chapter is about, investing it for the future. And it's what it means when the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. If you have money, you want to make money. Someone of the world, let's take Elon as an example. Whoever manages Coca-Cola has the same uh, mindset. Where can I put Coca-Cola? Coca-Cola goes to more places than the gospel. You can go to China, you find Coca-Cola everywhere. Okay. So whoever is managing the money involved in this is, is very clever, however they did this. Now Jesus commends to his disciples in verse 9, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. And now he gets to the real point. He says, use your money carefully. That's what he's trying to tell you. Use your money carefully. And uh, he says this, uh, when you fail, well, we're all going to fail. If the Lord doesn't come, we're all going to die, okay? And our everlasting home, of course, is heaven. Are you going to get a welcome there by the way you managed your money? And if you're careful with your money for the Lord, you'll prosper spiritually. He says that later here also. How you manage your money today for the Lord with eternity in view will determine a lot of the spiritual blessing you have today. If you spend your money foolishly just on yourself, uh, um, I take from that, you just, you know, there's, there's no spiritual benefit of it. But if you're thinking, where can I put this money that's going to have a spiritual payoff in the future? You're investing for the future. And the payoff will be, when you get to heaven, if you support a missionary or a group of missionaries or a work, and they've gone home to be with the Lord, when you get there, you'll know them, and you'll get a warm welcome. That's why I take this verse, as simple as that. It says, when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. You're going to get a welcome because of the way you invested your money today. Okay? You're using what you have today. You're going to have an eternal payoff. That's what the Lord's trying to tell his disciples. Money isn't just to please you today. You're investing it. And how are you investing it? So there'll be a payoff in the future. That's true investing. So that's the first principle. Be careful how you spend your money. And if you're, you know, there's all kinds of principles. You can go on the internet and find out principles for money management, uh, especially if you're between 20 and 30, because that's when you make all the mistakes, the giant mistakes. You can, you can always recover, or hopefully <laughs> you can recover. <laughs> but the point is, that, you know, for example, I'll give you a simple example. There's good debt and bad debt. Okay, this is what they'll tell you on the internet, and it's true. Good debt is something like a mortgage or a student loan, because the payoff then is, is a house that you have equity in, or an education, a degree, and that's important, okay, to, Perhaps be what the Lord, in the occupation the Lord would like you to be. Uh, but there's bad debt. That's credit card debt. Have zero credit card debt if you possibly can. Pay it off at the end of the month. Right? That's good. That's bad debt. So these are some of the money principles you'll find on the Internet. And they're, they're, they're good. I wish I had known them when I was 
between 20 and 30. But I can't afford to make a mistake now. So that's why I, try, I don't carry any debt. In, in, with credit cards, I can't afford to make a mistake. I don't have any earning potential left. Anyway, that's, that's money management. The next principle is a fantastic principle in verse 13, and that's where we'll go next. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I first read this and I thought, well, you know, I've had two jobs before. I've had two bosses. It's no problem. But what he's talking about, but it's at the same time, that's an issue. And that's, that's what he's talking about here, a master and a slave relationship. If you're a slave, you can only have one master. Otherwise, you get conflicting instructions. And sometimes in your job, those of you who are, are working, uh, if there's conflict between what some, one person tells you and what another person tells you, how do you deal with that? Well, you find out who's signing your pay, your pay stub, right? That, that's your real boss, okay? And you'll go tell him the conflict, and he or she will tell you how to straighten it out, okay? That's some practical advice. But no servant can serve two masters. It's true. But now Jesus, and he says you either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. Then he says the master is you cannot serve God and mammon or money or worldly wealth. You have to serve one or the other. The two are in competition with each other at the same time. And you have to make a decision. I'm going to serve God or I'm going to serve money. What's most important to me? One, one elder once told me, that's the verse that tells you that you, can't, you shouldn't engage in bigamy. No man can serve two masters. <laughs> Many people say they love God, and uh, but the, how they, uh, their service with money uh, shows that they do not. How can you tell who or what you're serving? Uh, uh, one wise person has said this, you will make a sacrifice for your God. Now, if you will make a sacrifice for your money, but you won't make a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, money is your God. You will sacrifice for your God. I have three anecdotes that I think you'll find interesting. A 1992 story in the Los Angeles Times told about Michelle, a successful writer and editor who fears the day her husband might discover her secret stash of credit cards, her secret post office box, or the other tricks she uses to hide how much money she spends shopping for herself. I make as much money as my husband. If I want a $500 suit from Ann Taylor, I deserve it and don't want to be hassled about it. So the easiest thing to do is lie, she explains. Last year, when her husband forced her to destroy one of her credit cards, Michelle went out and got a new one without telling him. I do live in fear. If he discovers this new, new visa, he'll kill me. A school teacher explained more. 
Men just don't understand that shopping is our drug of choice. She joked, even while admitting that some months her salary goes exclusively to paying the minimum balance on her credit cards. Walking through the door of South Coast Plaza is like walking through the gates of heaven. God made car trunks for women to hide shopping bags in. <laughs> One more. A young professional named Mary explained, shopping is my recreation. It's my way of pampering myself. When you walk into a mall and you see all the stores, it's like something takes over and you get caught up in it. God's, Jesus is telling us about the condition of our heart. You can't serve God and money, God and mammon. It has to be one or the other. What's your choice? And by what he's trying to get across to his disciples in this chapter, be clever in what you invest in. Invest with eternity in mind. That's what's important. Invest with eternity in mind. It's not how much you have. It's how you spend it, you see, that how you carefully target it. And he wants the Christians, he wants his disciples to be clever in how they target where their money goes. Verse 14, now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. They, they stuck up his, their noses at him. That's what the Greek word means. They derided him. They, they looked down their noses at him. And because in, as far as they were concerned, if you were wealthy, that was a sign God has blessed you. You're right with God. That, that was the sign. And, and you know, here he's talking about, you know, uh, can't serve God in money. Well, we are. That's what a Pharisee would say. I am. I'm serving God in money. And look, God has really blessed me with all this money. And, uh, you know, I can pretty much fool everybody uh, concerning my spiritual life, and I can make as much money as I possibly can. That's what they're telling. And, and, and you can't tell if I'm, if, you know, if inside money is my God. You can't tell because I do put a check in regularly at the church I go to, or I, use, I, I, I support the Cub Scouts buying popcorn. I do good things, okay? You can't tell. What Jesus says in verse 15 is, the, is God's view of it. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. Okay, if there's any verse in this whole, uh, my, my message this morning, that's a key verse. But God knows your hearts. God knows your hearts. You can't fool God by outwardly, an outward spiritual life or inwardly your God is money. It won't work. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Well, see, I highly esteemed Elon Rusk, uh, Musk there for a while. Uh, who knows what temptations he's going through, you know, what, what he's going through. Uh, Okay, let's go over to verse 19. Jesus tells a story here. This is not a parable. Uh, you know, we all know uh, 
a parable, it's like a, a, a practical earthly story, but it has a deeper heavenly meaning. That's kind of the way I, I, I was taught, and it's true. But this talks about a real person named Lazarus, and, how he, and a rich man, and how the rich man managed his money, and he, he wound up being greatly surprised when he got to heaven. So let's just look at it for a moment. Verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And it doesn't tell too much more about his life than that. It seemed like he lived for today and he was pretty comfortable today. That's basically what he's saying. He wore purple, which was a sign of, you know, almost being pretty high up, I guess. I don't know. Purple sort of a sign of, of, of royalty, I suppose, but he was rich. It's, that's the most important thing. He was rich, and uh, he fared sumptuously. So he had a full table. He ate a banquet table every day. He had no need for anything in terms of you know, what, what, we, what you and I struggle for uh, in terms of how we manage our money. He had no need to worry. He had invested it, and he had all the money he needed. A certain rich man, we're not told his name, but he fared, that was the phrase, he fared sumptuously every day, really. Uh, this strikes me as a, uh, I just see a guy very, very comfortable here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then verse 20, so there's two characters. The first is this rich man. He's rich, okay? And the next is verse 20, that there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his, desk, laid at his gate. And the Greek word for laid at his gate is he was dumped at the gate. And somewhere along the line, Lazarus had come to trust in God. And... He was probably asking himself, what am I doing here? There was a verse I, I kind of likened to Lazarus to Job. Lazarus was having a Job experience, okay? Somehow he lost his money, uh, lost his friends, lost his family, and now he's losing his health. He has sores all over him, and he's dumped at the rich man's gate. And there's this verse from Job that uh, I read this morning. I thought it was just so appropriate. It could be his words. All the days of my hard service, I will wait till my change comes. In other words, I'm, I'm suffering this hard service today, but I'll wait. I'm patient before God. He doesn't complain. He has a desire, we read in the next verse, to have, in verse 21, his desire for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, but he doesn't cry out for them. He doesn't make any noise. He's not crying and complaining and groaning like you and I might do. He's not groaning about it, wishing, you know, life's so unfair, I'm a victim. He doesn't go that way. But he did desire the crumbs. He didn't desire what was on top of the table, so the crumbs would be enough. And here he is dumped there. But he's right with God. And the, the amazing part of this story is this. Jesus, he comes from heaven to this earth, the Son of God, Jesus has seen both sides. He has seen our side, the living, and he's seen the other side, eternity. Now he's pulled back the curtain, and we're going to see what it's like on the other side of the curtain. 
what death is all about, what happens after death. That's the amazing part of this story. Jesus pulls the curtain apart, and we're going to see what happens to Lazarus and the rich man. And Jesus had seen it, so he's describing it. This is the way it is. He's giving us plenty of warning. So in verse 21, it talks about Lazarus continuing in verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. You feel sorry for Lazarus because, you know, you know we, some of us might have had the same experience where we felt like, well, you know, here I've trusted Christ as my Savior what am I doing here? You know, you're in the lowest possible place. And it's not because of something you've done. It's just the way circumstances have worked in your life. Why did God put me here? And that's kind of Lazarus' situation. So I feel for Lazarus. You know, the rich man, well, you know, good for him, you know. He's living his life to the full. Uh, and he fares sumptuously every day. But I feel sorry for Lazarus. What's the payoff? And Jesus tells us, verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So the same event that we will face, unless the Lord comes, is that we'll die. And it happens these guys die about the same time. And the beggar just dies, and you know what, the, he, he's been dumped there, and say so probably somebody comes along and takes him, and you know, who, who knows what they do with his body, who cares what they do with his body, but his soul is gone through that curtain, you see, it's in eternity, and it's in a safe, comfortable place. It's in Abraham's bosom, and um, that's a, in, in the Old Testament, there's a word called Sheol which is the unseen place. And that's how they describe what happens after a person dies, okay? They go not into a physical grave, but their soul goes into an unseen place that we know nothing about. Unless we have, but we do now because we have this chapter and this teaching by the Lord Jesus Christ, who had been on both sides, the living and the side, the spiritual side as well, eternity. So... The beggar is, is being comforted in a place called Abraham's bosom, or, or Hades, I guess. This, this is, it, was, it appears, you know, just looking at it and analyzing this, this story, that there's this place that has two, these two parts. And one is a place called Abraham's bosom, and the other place is Hades, a place of torment. Um, and so there's Lazarus being comforted. God kept his promises, and he's being comforted beyond the grave. What happens to the rich man? The rich man also died and was buried. So he probably had a nice big funeral procession. And probably all the rich people came and all the, probably a lot of the Pharisees and all the teachers. And he probably donated money to the local church, the synagogue. And so everybody was there to honor his death, okay? And they march him, the, the casket down, wherever they take it. And he's buried doesn't say Lazarus was buried. He just died. But they buried the rich man. 
Verse 23, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So he wants mercy at this point. Notice, uh, when you read this story, like I said, Jesus is kind of opening the curtains. And um, the rich man finds himself in a place of torment. So it seems like almost all of his senses are working. He can see Abraham, so he has sight. He can call to Abraham, so he has his voice. He feels the pain and torment of, of, of where he is. And he has the sense of touch. He has his memory. Later we find out, he, well, he remembered Lazarus' name. Isn't that interesting? He recognized Abraham. That's even more interesting. So our existence in eternity is not like our existence here on the earth. We're limited. But in, in eternity, remember when Jesus had the transformation before some of his disciples and he was there with Moses and Elijah, and they, they knew him. And they thought, that, well, let's build some booths, you know, in honor of your company. But they could recognize them. Something, there's something about the eternal um, existence where you can, you can see more than we're limited, to, what we're, more than what we are, seem to be limited to seeing. You, we will, I believe we will recognize each other in eternity. We'll definitely know the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? The marks in his hands. We'll recognize his face. We'll see his love toward us in eternity. Now we read in Ephesians that when he, well, Jesus went to this place that's called paradise because he, he, as we read earlier this morning, uh, uh, I, I think, so, so, uh, I forget the brother, I think it was maybe Mark, read the, the part about Jesus on the cross comforting the other criminal who was being crucified that verily today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So Jesus went to this place when he died. But we read later that in Ephesians that when he arose he, uh, and went to heaven, he led captivity captive. So there goes the Lazarus. So there goes all the Old Testament saints. They're with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know today that if we would pass into eternity, will be with the Lord Jesus Christ in a moment. <clears throat> Absent from the body, present with the Lord. There's no such thing as soul sleep. There's no such thing as purgatory. Those who know Christ will be with him, comforted in him throughout all eternity. You get a fantastic vision of what eternity is like in this, in this chapter. It's a place of comfort for the believer. Yeah, you might go through rocky things in this life and, you know, we couldn't speak from this pulpit at some of the things that go on in the name of uh, against Christians. 
but there will be comfort in eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place of comfort. He can hear because he has a sense of hearing. He can speak. He has thirst. He has touch. He has sight. All he wants now is just a drop of water to cool his tongue. That's all he wants. And so he asks Abraham. So I guess one, one, we have to start bringing this together now. What was it that, why did, he's obviously a Jew, uh, and he could call him Father Abraham. In fact, Abraham called, could call him son. What's missing? There was no relationship with God in his life. He was totally preoccupied with money. That was his God. It was a poor choice, a poor way to invest. Only for now. I'm going to invest for to now. I get a hundred bucks in my job. I'm going to spend it now. You know, it's that, it's that, that mentality. You know that mentality because I've had it myself. Okay. Uh, and that's what, by the way, it's another danger. They'll tell you, be careful. You know, you're going to be careful how you spend your money. But then all of a sudden you go into a binge spending episode. Okay. And that's what I, that's my fault. Well, my, my problem. <laughs> yeah, I'll skip, 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 save. And all of a sudden, blow it. But that's one of the dangers. You have to watch out for that. But you're spending it. All, when you think about that, what are you doing? You're spending it all now for yourself. Okay, and that's all about you. Please, I'm going to please myself. You know, isn't that what Samson said about Delilah? She pleases me. This money pleases me. I'm going to just spend it on myself. What God, what Jesus is telling his disciples: Be careful how you invest your money. Put it towards eternal things, and then when you get to heaven. Those who have benefited, it might have been just a little donation to whatever, the young people and their trip to, they want to take to, um, where is it, rise up. Well, who knows what the payoff will be on that? But it's going to be more than me spending, you know, 50 bucks on a toy, right? It's more of a payoff. And that's what he's saying. Think about what the payoff is with your money. Be careful. Be shrewd. That's all he's saying. Be shrewd. And the payoff for the rich man, all that he had was he never gave concern for God at all. And he winds up in, 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 in hell. And in this picture, let's just finish the picture that we're just about finished. The picture is that here's a place of comfort. There's a place of torment. A great gulf is fixed. Now, I don't know. I just, you know, I don't know. The Lord is with uh, Jesus is in heaven. Um, and uh, hell is a separate place altogether. At this time, there was still, a, and there's a great gulf fixed between those two. But in this time, even in the same dwelling place of those who had passed on, there was a great gulf fixed. And the rich man asks for just some water. No requests are granted in eternity. No matter what you ask for, no requests are granted. No, there's a great gulf. I, Lazarus can't, why, why did he want Lazarus to be his servant again? That's interesting. Uh, uh, but he wants Lazarus to take the water and bring it to him. No, no requests are granted. Lazarus is in a place of comfort now. He's getting what he deserves and what he invested in. And you're getting what you deserve, okay? You, you have to plan for eternity. That's the whole lesson. You have to plan ahead for eternity. If you're not saved, you want Christ as your Savior. 
He paid the price for your sins. Trust him as your savior today. If you are saved, invest your money wisely. That's the whole point of this chapter. Uh, one last beg. Uh, the, the, the rich man turns into a beggar in verse 27. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. They were probably ignoring God also. Abraham said to them, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they persuade, be persuaded that one rise from the dead. And that is true. That is true. Uh, the, the Pharisees uh, tried to kill uh, Jesus' friend Lazarus. You remember he came back from the, uh, Jesus brought him back from the dead. And the, the Pharisees sought to kill him because those who saw this miracle were then believing on Jesus. They then want to kill Lazarus. He came back from the dead. He was probably telling him what it was like. Too late. Jesus came back from the dead. And those who testify to, to that, that, that truth, you and I and the early Christians, they suffered persecution for it. No, somebody coming back from the dead will have no impact. You have to read God's word and read its promises. That's what's really important. You have to read God's promises and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and spend your money wisely. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to read this chapter, which gives us such practical advice. Help us to think in terms of eternity and how can we have, make a spiritual impact with what you have given us today. Help us to make those decisions wisely and shrewdly and bless us, Father, by, by showing us how it is paying off, how we, 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 that we would see blessing through it. I pray for each family represented here this morning and each young person, each older person. We all are going through our own circumstances with money and help us to be careful in how we deal with it. May we honor the Lord Jesus Christ by how we live our, our daily lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Thank you.